Well, hello and welcome to Stuffed Episode 4. My name's Craig Wilson and I'm here with Toby Shapshack uh, to talk about the week's tech news and perhaps beyond in either direction, looking forward and looking back. Toby, I think looking forward first, um, big, big launch for Samsung coming up at the end of the month. Yeah, you've really got to be um, paying a lot of attention to this and hoping that they pull it off. Yeah, indeed. I mean, the thing is really that uh, they've had such a disaster with the Note 7 exploding battery that now what they really need is something big and flashy and distracting. And they're hoping that's going to happen with the Galaxy S8. It's a big New York launch. Yeah, I'll be there to, to take a look at it. I think, look, I've got to tell you, I'm feeling pretty um, pretty optimistic about it. You know, the Note 7 was a glorious phone for the very the few um, minutes we got to play with one at the launch. And from the early reviews and from the number of people who said, Samsung just hasn't been able to get phones back from. They just can't pry them out of their hands. You've got people who are genuinely willing to take the risk of an exploding phone because they like it so much. I mean, that is really fascinating. <laughs> but look, they, they, you know, apart from the, the, the exploding battery, it wasn't a bad phone. And, it was a great phone. I always remind people that Samsung created the phablet market. The very first mm. note, which people laughed at, was the first such huge phablet-like device. You and yeah. I both use the Apple iPhone 7 Plus, which is a phablet and yeah, it's the yeah. same size screen, and we are very happy iOS phablet users. So, And now everyone does it, right? Huawei has a P10 and P10 Plus. Motorola has a G5 and G5 Plus. Um, granted, Samsung's the only one really who's still committed to the included stylus, but look, the Note 7 had wonderful features. You can bet we're going to see all of the best of the Note 7, uh, aside from perhaps the stylus, uh, put into whatever these phones are called. Obviously, the assumption is it would be the Galaxy S8. Yeah. Uh, it might turn out to be called something else. Um, but then you've also got things like uh, Huawei, who's done an entire range of its own phablet devices uh, called the Mate series. And I know yeah. you've been playing with the latest one, the Mate uh, 9. The Mate 9, I've got to tell you, is an excellent, excellent phone. Really crisp, clear screen, uh, fingerprint reader on the back, which I always kind of uh, thought was a bad idea, is a very good idea because it's so much easier to hold it in your hand and just put your finger there to unlock it. Well, that was that was actually an LG thing that they drove with the sort of G3 and G4. But yeah, but yeah I mean, you've actually got the Mate 9 here in, in your grubby little paws, so to speak. That's uh, Mr. Grubby Little Paws to you. <laughs> what's, the, what's the battery like? Because one of the things that's always been impressive with those is the like genuine two-day battery life. Yeah, it's very good. It's, I use it as, a, as, a, as my second phone to test Android. I've been using it extensively. I've been watching videos uh, Video on it a lot. Oh, really? Uh, you know, I, I traveled to and from the states in the last two weeks, and I and I watched a lot of stuff on it. Uh, the the Leica, the dual Leica lenses at the back are excellent. As is the flash. The quality of the video recording is ex- exceptional. Yeah. 4K video, really crisp, really clear, great screen, and very well designed. Very slim, very light. Uh, it uses USB Type C. Mm-hmm. The you know which the everyone. Ref- sensible now does right with the exception of Apple but uh, I mean there were rumors that Apple would include it in their new version of the iPhone whatever version that's going to be called it's just great you know type C is just so useful like one cable it charges everything it charges the new GoPro 
it charges, you know, Look, it charges the new, it charges your 12-inch MacBook. I mean, really, Fantastic. I know, obviously, it's, it's the Apple way to make a proprietary connection so that it can sell a slew of accessories that use that proprietary connection. And there's an entire third-party market that sprung up around it to sell exactly. lightning cables. But you really got to feel that when you, when you put Type-C in your latest laptops and you don't put it in your latest phones, that just feels like like a misstep. Yeah, um, it would be great. Look, I I would be very surprised to see Type C in the new iPhone, but I would also be absolutely delighted if that did come to pass. Uh, it would be amazing if everyone could suddenly could finally move to a yeah, unified single cable. solution. You know, yeah. I was at I was at the the Mobile World Congress keynote when uh, the chairman of the GSMA announced that micro USB would be the default universal standardized mm. charger for all phones and that was groundbreaking there was a cheer and a round of applause from sure. the audience I mean that was game changing until then people seemed to forget you had a different charger for Nokia a different charger for Motorola a different charger for LG Samsung had their own charger yeah. Blackberry was the first who used uh, 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 the precursor to micro USB mini USB much bigger square or sure. wider one uh, and then suddenly everybody was using micro USB and it's a it's a it's a great breakthrough Amazon uses them on all their Kindles but now and, and a ton of accessories and isn't it funny that I remember it being called a Blackberry charger that used to be the question hey have you got a Blackberry charger yeah. then it shifted of course with Blackberry's demise and it became hey have you got an Android charger yeah. and now it's just you know have you got a type C or have you got a you know a modern phone yeah. or uh, of course lightning if it's Apple but talking about your, your travels um, you were at uh, South by Southwest um, over the last sort of week and a bit what were some of the best things you saw uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic conference I call it the best brain food there is and it is it is a very multidisciplinary conference started as a music event then it added film and now interactive since I think 1986 it's into its 31st year and what's so fantastic is that you can hear Vin Cerf the founder of the internet yeah. the father of the internet he created the first TCPIP protocol put the first two nodes worked on the very first email program called MCR Mail fascinating interesting Ray Kurzweil the futurist whose predictions he says are about 80% accurate a book he wrote in 1999 about what would happen um uh, you know, just incredible amount of people. And then as well, you know, the two uh, Stark girls, the last remaining Stark girls uh, in the uh, Game of Thrones interviewing the, the, <laughs> the remaining, script yeah. writers, um, right across the spectrum to a panel fascinating, fascinating description of plant-based protein and growing meat in a, in, a, in a brewery, a bit like those used to make beer. Really interesting stuff. Tim Ferriss interviewing Cheryl Strayed, the author, about her famous uh, book Wild and her podcast and column series Dear Sugar. You know, Tim Ferriss himself is an icon. He's had more than 100 million downloads of his podcast. 
Yeah, just. I mean, his, his stuff's amazing. You know, that four-hour work week and onwards. I, I listen to him, actually, on a lot of podcasts. So it's cool. So I know that he also invigilates uh, sort of panel discussions sometimes or, or interview. I mean, this is it, though. It's just a who's who of the sort of the brightest people. And yeah. I think one of the things about South By is that it's got to be the case where, uh, you know, that comment about being the smartest person in the room. I suspect South by Southwest, uh, you're never the smartest person yeah, in the room. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, um, my, my highlight is, is Bruce Sterling, the science fiction writer, gives the closing address which he has every year oh, since cool. the interactive section started and it's just the best brain food you know it's where twitter twitter was in beta when it launched itself there the idea for uber came from south by mm. um, it is the best possible place to pick up not just interesting information about the tech industry but the music industry mick fleetwood from fleetwood mac was there um the uh, the cast of better call saw from breaking bad they had a pop-up restaurant of los polos hermanos oh, the chicken yeah. brothers and gus fring and Gustavo Fring, who was, I had my selfie with him, and he was totally in character, you know. So just the best range of people. Uh, I know I keep using the word just and fascinating, but fascinating and wonderful and interesting and and glorious. But uh, you know, uh, the, the best thing for anyone to go if they if they truly want to get such great brain food. Sure, and you know, part of it is tech, but more of it is sort of about ideas rather than the physical things. And I think you know this then leads to sort of uh, tech down the line. But on the topic of tech down the line, I am fascinated to see that a bunch of luxury watchmakers are hopping on the smartwatch bandwagon. Now, I mean, this isn't surprising at all, and it's not like it just started happening. Uh, Tag Heuer uh, last year released the uh, Tag Heuer Connected, which um, by all accounts was uh, an absolute disaster. All it was really was paying an inordinate amount of money for a very poor Android Wear device uh, with crummy resolution and and not much else going for it. And one of the things that I think reinforced uh, the doubts about it was that Tag said that if you didn't like it, uh, after two years you could pay in a little bit of money and get uh, one of their more conventional mechanical watches. So even they were willing to swap it out, which doesn't speak to sort of faith in the concept. Anyway, they're trying again. Uh, they've announced a modular smartwatch of sorts with some bits you can clip on and, and clip off. And last week there was a local launch of the Mont Blanc uh, Summit, which is also an Android Wear-powered watch. It looks like it's addressed a lot of the um, the criticisms uh, leveled at things like the Tag Heuer Connected. Uh, and you're the watch guy here, not not me. I, I wear fitness trackers that happen to tell the time uh, but you're the watch guy I mean do you think there's a lot of room at the in the luxury end for these sorts of smart watches yeah I do because you know a luxury watch is a, is a defining statement the best way to understand how a luxury watch works is kind of handbag principle a woman can wear you know mm. uh, jeans and a t-shirt but have a very expensive uh, Louis Vuitton handbag and it is a signifier of her status the same is true of of men's watches men don't have to wear uh, you know expensive clothes but they can be wearing a, 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 a Petit Philippe or a, a Panerai and that is a signifier that they have a certain kind of monetary status smartwatches are obviously going to start to infiltrate that market because you know there are people who want to have a, a sophisticated smartwatch I think in some ways what's happened is that the uh, the smartwatch market has kind of grown up a little bit and it's no longer trying to be all things to all people 
Uh, now that we've had them for a couple of years, getting your notifications on your watch is not as cool as it seems, but a whole bunch of other <laughs> yeah. stuff is useful. The, the fitness trackers, if you want them, that's quite useful and that's quite functional. Whereas, you know, the, 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 the maturity of it means that, firstly, Android Wear, which is much more sophisticated, the, the Huawei Watch 2 is an excellent version of it. And, and they do a model with Porsche Design, which is itself a luxury brand. So people are seeing the value in it if they want to turn on the functionality they can. If they don't, they don't have to. Uh, it certainly caters to the gadgety, high-tech, luxury watch <laughs> segment. Yeah, the horologist. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's good to see it. it it's, it's more sophisticated. Of course, if it's a luxury brand, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost luxury money. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, there's, there's a, a premium segment to every part of the market. I, I guess, I mean, the thing with them is, is the problem of upgrading you know I mean we're used to replacing uh, phones every two years um, in some cases more the problem with the watches is that the luxury market trades on this idea of sort of heirlooms and this idea that you can buy a luxury watch have it serviced every now and then but otherwise that it's a thing that's meant to you know outlast you and a smartwatch completely contradicts this by being something that by nature of its design is going to be out of date uh, within a couple of years and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that market comes to terms with these this sort of conflict but in terms of watches the one I'm very excited to to play with which I saw at, at Mobile World in Barcelona uh, a few weeks back was the Withings which is now of course going to be branded yes. Nokia yes. the Withings Steel HR which I think is a great sort of mix it's, it's not a high end watch don't get me wrong it's not a luxury watch by any measure but it looks like a a sort of traditional elegant analog face watch but it has the heart rate tracking and a sort of three weeks battery life and all of the sort of fitness smart that um that people are coming to expect. That's one that I am. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to actually taking for a spin. But uh, we'll see where these uh, where the sort of high end market goes. Maybe they'll uh, even find one that um, that I feel like wearing. Uh, the trick is, of course, uh, selling your car to buy it. But that's uh, yes, that's that, another story. Is that. But speaking of uh, of sales, uh, let's talk about Nintendo Switch, who had a spectacular first week, selling 1.5 million units. Yeah, it's pretty strong, right? So I've actually been playing the Switch and. Uh, I am not uh, what you'd call a conventional gamer. I am exactly the sort of gamer that Nintendo has done so well with, which is the sort who very seldom plays games and very, very much on the casual side of the spectrum. But um, I've had a Switch to play with, and the, the the sort of main game that's been launched with it is the new Zelda, The Legend of Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild. And it's one of these sort of open world, uh, massive sandbox games, uh, an inordinate number of things to do. You could easily lose hundreds of hours of, uh, to it. Uh, and I've been pretty obsessed. Uh, I've been playing it on uh, plane rides in the airport, much to the amusement of uh, people around me who, of course, have spotted it and gone, oh, is that the new Switch? Uh, and it's quite a sort of You're conversation starter. <laughs> but I, um, I, 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 see the, uh, I see the appeals. I mean, the big thing here is for those few of you who don't know or who aren't into gaming uh, like me, um, the Switch is a sort of three-in-one console. Uh, you can plug it into a dock that connects it to a television and will then let you play in sort of 1080p uh, resolution. Or you pull out the brains, which are also a touch display. It's an 11.2-inch 720p display. Uh, and you can click some control.
controllers onto the sides of it and basically turn it into a, a giant version of the Game Gear that Sega put out or the Game Boy Advanced or any of these, uh, the PSP Vita, you know, these sort of portable gaming consoles. But then being Nintendo, of course, there's a little quirk to it as well, which is that you can pop the two controllers off, one off either side. They pull a little kickstand out of the display and then play two-player games, including some ludicrous things like sword catching and cow milking and competitive eating. Yeah. All with these little... You had me at cow milking. <laughs> all of these little motion-controlled games that are, of course, a little reminiscent of Nintendo's last enormous success, uh, the Wii. I think the biggest challenge, though, that the Switch is going to face uh, is going to be price. So if you're picking it up here, you're looking at about 5,200 Rand. And whereas the the original Wii was a really cheap device, it was about, you know, I think it was about 2,000 Rand, um, which was a fraction of the cost of the PlayStation or Xbox devices at the time. Now the Switch is very much uh, in keeping with the price of the uh, Xbox and PlayStation that are doing the rounds at the moment. And that means for serious gamers, it's it's trying to compete with them. And that's really difficult. Yeah, because it isn't a serious gamer console. That's the problem, isn't it? It is a... It's a second console. It's a second console. That I think the clever way they've taken the little uh, controllers on the side that slide off and on, you can add a, a little uh, wrist strap to them so you can use it very much like the Wiimotes in, in uh, the Wii used to use. You can box with it. You can fight with swords. It's got a clever little attachment that lets you kind of uh, connect them to what what looks like a, an Xbox or a PlayStation controller. Mm, so yeah. you have that interface. It's very cleverly done. It's, it's good lateral thinking from Nintendo. But again, it's very similar in price point to a proper hardcore gaming console. And, you know, the, the, the game is incredibly loyal they choose playstation or xbox they you know it's like a religious debate it's kind of like those people who always want to argue with me over whether ios is better or android is better you know i never engage in such religious uh, (laughs) well the thing is the answer is it depends on your particular god yeah Uh, but the thing with the games as well is that it's going to come down to the actual titles and i think for now the problem is the switch only has a handful of titles we've got some some more coming uh splatoon which is this multiplayer game that uh, nintendo is hoping will do very well Uh, the new Mario Kart 8 that's coming at the end of April but it's going to have to roll these titles out and fast uh, because yeah. you've got to keep people's keep people's interest I, I find it quite bizarre that, that this was a problem with the Wii you know there were as it launched there were a lack of games although the the, the kind of house games the or even more so with, with Wii U the follow up it was I a mean, real Wii, problem there yeah the Wii U was a was a bit of a you know it was one of Nintendo's rare misses actually it's a it's so it's heartening to see Nintendo having a great comeback with the Switch and innovate in a different way and uh, and keep themselves in the loop when they were dead and buried after the Game Boy sales, you know, plummeted the first time back in the early 90s. So Well, this is it too. I mean, Nintendo is the great comeback kid. We've heard the dead and buried many times. Uh, from the little I've seen of the Switch, I think uh, it's, it's really bold. It's really daring. They've done super well. And I really hope it does well because it it deserves to. Of course, what we're going to have to do is take a look at it again in six months or a year's time when the next batch of financials come out and we can see how it's actually performed. 
and also see um, you know whether we're all still playing these games uh, in a year's time exactly and it's kind of a bit like Pokemon Go you know massive initial interest and tapering off quite radically since then yeah anyway alright we will chat a little bit more about uh, Samsung and the S8 or whatever it's called and the rest of the week's news uh, next week around the same time uh, thanks for listening Toby chat to you then thank you and cheers Thank you.